This recording was made on Gurringai Country, Northern Beaches, New South Wales. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. Fuck uh, me too. Here we are. Uh, And I need to immediately uh, announce a profound realization I've had, uh, which is, I mean, needless to say, surfing related. And what it is, is that I've realized that the crowd conditions matter more than the ocean conditions now. Like it's, I think it's gone past this point of, um, I guess like prevalence where crowds are always a thing. People are always a thing. If you're sharing a lineup, it's like part of the experience, but up to very recently, it's like, it's so much been about the ocean and what it looks like and what, you know, what the water's doing in it and where it's moving and on top of what of it and what, uh, what you've got between you and the ocean and um, what you can do on it. And, and anyway, so like surfing, it's just the most intoxicating activity such that I can just lose track of what I was saying mid-sentence thinking about it. Okay, no, we were talking about crowds overtaking the ocean. So yeah, usually the reason I this is so profound, because I know like at the moment you're probably listening to this and, you're <laughs> and there's probably a, a, a loud voice in your brain going, Fuck me! You know, what's this, what's this bloke on about? But the, the point is, what I've noticed is I'm praying for onshore winds like all the time now because so consistently the surfs I've been having with onshore horrible, messy, sloppy conditions, I've had so much more fun than when it's been perfect because, well, I mean perfect. We've argued about whether that's an appropriate word to use whilst discussing surfing because surfing is by definition a perfect activity. And we're so good at fucking whinging about it as surfers. And what I'm trying not to whinge here, but more just uh, make the point that now, like that's the, a reversal of, of a way that I've been my entire conscious life of praying for offshore winds. And it might sound like a really simplistic thing, but it may, I, I don't know if that makes any sense to any other surfer out there. And it might be me um, in some other dimension, uh, or an authority figure or something, so whatever. But um, but if I don't know, that's news to me, and that's what we're doing here on Self Talks podcasts. It nice. Fuck me. Um, it's just getting like getting to the bottom of practicing living our lives and stuff, and doing it for the first time, and just coming to grips with every moment being new, and then and then like sometimes feeling obliged to pretend like you knew what the future would be. And maybe that obligation, if you're anything like me, comes from another version of you you, or like me in in me, in my brain, like where there's maybe like 4,599 different um, versions, you know, in residence up there and stuff. And then so we come here to Self Talks podcast. It's just checking in which one's got the controls at the moment. And then then when that one says, says something really dumb, you know, all of the other ones just erupt. Holy fuck. Fuck me. Well, fuck me. 
Um, so cool. So, I mean, we're off and running now, but that's like, that's a massively, that's a big transformative catalyst to my surfing experience in a lockdown city moving forwards because the behavior in the water is just, it's untenable at this stage. And, and I've, I mean, I say that, I mean, I had a pretty good surf today and there weren't that many people out, but, but that felt really rare. Um, and I've actually come up with another really important, like, like probably like, like UN level, like they're going to ring me up about this, but I've got this theory about why there's so many people surfing and, and I've been talking about it with my mate, Jimmy, and we reckon maybe if you, okay. So if you started surfing at the beginning of COVID and like, if that's you, I'm happy you did. It's great. You're out there and stuff. I wish maybe like you were compelled to do it for a reason other than boredom, but that's so precious of me. And I know that. So I don't like, it's fine. Good. Cool. Awesome. The point is, is that there's heaps of heaps of views. And if you've, if that's you, you've been surfing now for 18 ish months, long enough to know what offshore winds are and, you know, get out the back on most days under head height actually that's not even true it's overhead height now as well and that's where it gets really dangerous i think that's why i harp on about this so much is because it like you have some hair raising moments out there where you see someone on like some intermediate or even beginner surfer out on a big day in front of you and you just happen to have tried to take off on a little insider between sets to keep your legs nice and warm and you've kicked out and suddenly you've seen the horizon go dark and you're like, oh. And then if you're like me, you've got this voice in your head, which is like the voice that must be in all the other F1, like Formula One drivers' heads where they're like, okay, Max, you need to push, 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 push now, like really calm. And in my head, I'm like, oh God, I'm going, I'm going, this is it. Like I'm about to get dusted. But (laughs) you've got an intermediate surfer who hasn't seen the horizon go dark and they're sitting, you know, maybe 30 meters out to sea right in front of you and they're oblivious to what's coming. So the safest thing you can do is paddle like closer to them. Or I guess even just sit there in copper. But the point is, that person is like a loaded gun. And that's why, you know, hard objects can strike you in the face and stuff out in the surf. Because that guy or, or girl or they, them or whatever might just let go and, and just get cleaned up. Leggy might snap. They might just get washed all the way in. And then suddenly you can get yourself in a really dangerous situation. And so it is all about safety. Like Pat said that today, which was such a good point, where like... Hawaii was really the birthplace of localism and and really sort of regulated lineups. And that's because there's waves of consequence over there. And typically in places like Sydney Beach, Sydney Beach, cool. In places like Sydney Beach, Australia, um, which is now the combined northern and eastern beaches, at Sydney Beach, the waves aren't that like consequential very commonly for it to be too much of a problem as far as regulating a lineup. But the fuller that lineup gets, suddenly it becomes really necessary to have clear lines of communication and minimize the accidental sharing. So, so that, you know why, I mean, you know why by now it's so that we can have, excuse me, you hopefully didn't hear, oh, yuck. (laughs) It's to maximize this feeling in the surf. Right. 
and minimise this feeling in the surf. Shut the fuck up. Yes, sir. You might not be so rude. I mean, mainly that bit. That's what... I mean, that's my, like, biggest um, experience of it, is that there's... It's really murky where the level of respect needs to be. And it's a two-way street that more advanced surfers need to respect the fact that no one knows how to do that, do it immediately. But then intermediate and beginner surfers, I think, need to accept like when they're instructed about having been in a compromising position. I mean, diplomacy right here. When, they're, when they've made an, a mistake which has endangered potentially your life, um, clear lines of communication, guys. We need to just make sure we're talking it out. And in that situation, like, I've had a bloke this week in the last seven days. It was like three days ago or something. This bloke has paddled over for a wave that I'm in position for from maybe 15 metres away. And we've locked eyes and I've made moves for the wave. It's pretty obvious I'm going to have a crack. And then he hasn't stopped. And then we're next to each other and he looks at me and locks eyes again and then just takes off. And so I took off behind and we had a little like party wave, I guess, impromptu, involuntary, accidental sharing party wave. And then got to the end. And anyway, like all I said to the bloke was, and this bloke was, by the way, like the smallest bloke you've ever seen, like kind of been more than the age of nine or 10, maybe, or six or something like, like a really small bloke. Um, with a really bad attitude and a bad haircut, come to remember. Anyway, not important. We've all got bad haircuts now, don't we? Um, so all I've said to this bloke, because if you've, if you've ever been like, it's weird, man, you're talking to someone's kid, you know, and their parents aren't there. And it's just like the whole like interactions just loaded. And so I never want to be someone who swears at a kid, even though, mind you, I mean, I got death threaded when I was that age for doing way, like nowhere near as bad, just basically scooching in front of a guy running through a section that made me come quite close to him and he got really spooked. But I got death threaded at Curl Curl when I was maybe 16. And I, and I, that was after I'd come up and checked, checked in on him and said, oh, sorry, I raced the section and stuff. Anyway, I've had blokes go ballistic. I've seen it so, so much. But I don't want to be that guy unloading at someone's kid. You know, it's, it, the whole thing's weird. So anyway, all I said to this bloke, this tiny um, like kid half bloke was, that was pretty rude, mate. And that's all I said, because, you know, I'm like, I'm like Mr. Davies here, guys. I'm teacher. I'm like, we're in a classroom. It's fine. We're here to learn, uh, but we're also um, here to learn. So that was really rude, mate. And you know what this bloke's done? This kid, he's like, he's looked at me. He's like, what? And like fully like fucking mm, like, mm, like, like, you know, sent this little projection of like, this titchy little alpha shit at me or something. And then, and I was like dumbfounded, but I just repeated myself like a senior, uh, <laughs> saying a senior thing and saying that was very rude. And, and so he's like, all he said, I didn't fucking hear you. And like in his defense, I hadn't yelled. Cause I mean, I try to avoid that as well. It's weird to like be barking, going like, yep, yep. Oi, oi, oi. And it's necessary sometimes, but it's also like, I don't know. I try and like put myself in positions where I can avoid it, but I hadn't skipped at this kid because I thought that we'd locked eyes twice. There's no way he's going to take off. And there's also no way we're both going to leave this interaction without some sort of lesson imparted um, upon the both of us, I might add. Um, and so, and so basically bad attitude, I just paddled away in disbelief. 
we came close once again. And, and all I said to him at that point was like, you're a bit small to have an attitude like that. That's all I said. You know, same thing. It's a weird, like loaded thing. But what that kid did was so disrespectful and so dangerous. And if I don't, I was thinking like, if I don't use this opportunity to like have a teaching moment or whatever, then what happens when it gets worse and more egregious and then it happens to the wrong bloke who just beats the shit out of him? Because at some point, that guy's kid is just a bloke and no one cares whether his dad's on the beach. I mean, not that that's like, uh, but like, it's anyway, I wanted to, I thought there's an opportunity here and I need to learn how to like be an adult, I suppose, in a situation like this. Um, And anyway, 15 minutes later, he got cleaned up in front of me something vicious and has come up like all like, <coughs> like all coughing and spluttering right next to me. And so I've grabbed his bottle. Oh, you all right? Are you okay? Like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, 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 yep. And so like, we've just stood there in the impact zone together. He's getting his shit together. And then on the way back out, I was like, look, man, did you, you got what I was getting at before, right? Like that was really rude. We locked eyes twice. And he was like, yeah, well, I really didn't hear. I'm like, yeah, I didn't yell. But like, that's the point is you should have given me the benefit of the doubt that I was going. You should like, I don't know. And and he was like, yeah, well, I didn't think you'd make it anyway. And I was like, mate, this is all about like having respect for our, each other out here. And you're just not going to get very far. And anyway, it ended there. And I was happy to end it there because I was like, suddenly this is weird. You know, suddenly, suddenly I'm talking to someone's kid. Um who I feel has slighted me. <laughs> Holy fuck. Fuck me. And, and anyway, so that was that. And man, I've gotten good at that. You know when? The only other time I've had an interaction with a kid in the lineup, right? He's, it was down south at a busy reef and there's a car park right there. It's like loaded with people, but it was cooking. And anyway, this kid has gotten a great wave. I've given him a hoot and then he's come and like sat right inside me and then just taken off on the next one and like i'm looking at the whole thing going well that's weird that he's getting up because he obviously knows it's my turn because he we just paddled straight past me anyway i just took off i was like fuck that um and and anyway he's going like bye hi hi and and having a go and whatever and like he was caught behind anyway i was right and he wasn't going to make it but anyway i've come up the beach and this bloke's come charging up to me. I went, well, there we go. I've always worried about this. You know, it's it's like, it sucks getting into interactions with strangers, especially when they're like really small strangers and their folks are on the beach. And especially when their folks are maybe retired like boxing coaches or something really stocky and probably um, does metal fabrication. And anyway, this bloke's like charged up to me <laughs> and I was shitting myself going, fuck, here we go. And right, he's like, you think you're a big man, mate, dropping in on kids? Dropping into kids, you think you're a big man, like getting in my grill. And I told him the truth. I looked him in the eye. I was like, mate, your kid just called, snaked me and then called me a fucking cunt. So you tell me. I didn't say you tell me. I just said that thing like for um, theatrical purposes only. But I did stammer through like, oh, like it's not like that, mate. Your kid just called me a fucking cunt. And he snaked me like straight. Like anyway, the point is, is, <laughs> is that uh, I'm not Tom Cruise delivering great lines that way. Um, but the reality is that the guy just backed way off. And he was like, really? Oh, he fucking did, did he? Anyway, and um, and so, I mean, like, 
hopefully it ended there for that kid and he brought better manners out in, into the lineup happily ever after sort of thing. But, but it, it takes those unpleasant interactions, I guess, to learn the lessons and to make sure we're all keeping enough respect for each other. Um, unless you're Tony Abbott. I mean, I see, I've heard stories about blokes who are like, yeah, I seen him in the surf. I dropped in on him and I'm like, man, I can't wait to get mine. I mean, there's like no greater politician that did more to undermine attempts that Australia was making to clean up its its climate change commitments and, you know, reduce our footprint and everything like that. I mean, he single-handedly, I, he just, he's responsible for so much climate crime. It's a, so guys, answer me this, right? I need to actually have a little drinky drink before I ask this. Um, so if, so there's people who get pursued, persecuted, prosecuted, whatever, for war crimes, Right. Yes, we're not going to linger here. Dark topic. But if if those people get prosecuted for war crimes where there is a uh, horrifying yet finite death toll, then what about the people who have undermined the environmental health of the planet such that it's going to have infinite ripple effects of human mortality down the line? At what point is that person uh, a criminal, like tantamount to a war criminal or, or any of those other like crimes against humanity, any of that like just like sick, like ultra sick, crazy shit that people do. I mean, that all of that stuff has has finite numbers attached to it. And I suppose it's me- more measurable and attributable um, to s- single actions or what is it? Like at what po- we all know the reality that the climate's heating up. We need to get our shit together urgently and all of us. But the leaders of... Australia, or most recently, just are doing the opposite on behalf of you and me. And it's just the worst shit. Are you serious? Like, listen to this headline. I just saw this. I should probably shouldn't have looked at um, the news, the ABC news, which um, I have a love-hate relationship with, um, according to last episode. Anyway, this uh, headline, I shouldn't have looked at it before sitting down to, um, what, rolls talk to the thin air in front of you, whatever. The headline um, that we're talking about is UK government accused of dropping free trade agreement climate commitments due to Australian pressure. As in the free trade deal being struck between Australia and the UK right now, uh, sold as a win-win deal for both parties, has some environmental contingencies that Australia is pushing to remove. So it's not like the malignancy of our climate treason here isn't just domestic. It's like we're going overseas to get in other people's shit as well. So, and I, it sucks because it feels like one of these things that you're like, well, Rolls, you know, I'm just like you, a moron. What, what are we supposed to do about it? But I think that the very least that we can start to like do about it, if we don't really know what to do about it, the best thing we can do is like know about it. And so we talk about it. And so, so that's also self-talks podcast is to talk about, talk it through. So in this situation, in this situation, Australia has so much potential to be an economic powerhouse through renewable energy with our massive coasts and all of our sunshine and square kilometers we have like we have an access to asia i mean we have so much potential to be the biggest renewable energy exporter in the entire world i mean i'll tell you okay i'll tell you why it bugs me out is because 
it's not like they're Australian companies that we're letting in here to, you know, make us rich by pillaging all of our fossil fuels. I mean, we're talking about companies like Adani um, taking all of that wealth back to India or whatever, whatever way you want to look at it. But there's so many massively wealthy countries and companies looking to invest in the resources we have as far as those square kilometers of sunlight. And what is it? Like there's literally thousands of potential sites for pumped hydro systems, which is, in my personal opinion, the best of my favorite renewable energy, just because it's so cool. Like you have this huge reservoir up the top of um, a a mountain, I guess, or like a a long slope. And that, that massive pond lake thing is a battery because you can slowly release it in the times you need electricity and it'll go through a hydroelectric plant and generate electricity. Then when the sun's shining, you have an adjacent solar farm which is pumping the water back up into the reservoir up the top. So sick, right? And we've got literally thousands of them that could power our whole country. So like so easily. And yeah, there'd be difficulties to negotiate, you know, transporting it all, making like equal access, but whatever. Don't make a problem out of it before it's even a thing. It's just a sick idea that we could do, but we're too far invested in the other direction already. Well, I say we because we are, and that's you and it's me and it's every Australian because it's like... It's like we all had a joint account for um for the beers in the house and stuff, and then someone just went and blew it all on like, like o like ouzo or whatever that gross like European beverage is or some gross European beverage basically that no one wants to drink and you're like dude that was for the beers and we were all deciding what flavor of beer we were gonna go for periodically according to um, certain factors and we'd all talk it out because we're the government of this house um. And the beers. And so that's the government talking about climate change on our behalf. But it's just because this government and our whole election process is so short term. It's, it hides itself in plain sight with people like Keith Pitt, that there's all these gross backdoor deals going on. Like that Sky interview, we have to listen to it again, actually. Sorry if you've been listening and you're sick of it. But if you're, if this is the first thing you've ever listened to, listen to this interview with Keith Pitt on Sky News recently, where he just refuses to even say the word battery. Okay, so can you tell me though, what size for a 157 megawatt wind farm, what size battery do you need to make it dispatchable? Uh, well, Tom, what I can tell you is that intermittent wind and solar. Is, that's a not, basic question. Is not dispatchable. But it is with a battery if it's big enough. Uh, well, I've made a decision based on what we're yeah, Hang on, but that's just a basic question. I know you've got an engineering background. Hmm. Solar or wind is not dispatchable unless it has a battery. That's true, right? Depending on the size of the battery. Oh, well, unless it's got other sources. It could be hybrid, it could be gas, it could be uh, tied up with a hydro, it could be pumped hydro. There's any number could of combinations. Could be battery. Could be diesel. Could be battery. Uh, it could be any number of things. But it could be a battery. <laughs> Tom, as I've said many times. Well, yeah, I just don't understand why you won't agree that it could be that a battery can back up a wind farm. Uh, well, as I've said, it comes down to a whole pile of decisions, including uh, capacity, availability. But I'm not going to that. I'm just asking, can a battery back up a wind farm? Uh, well, once again, how, how big is it? How long does it run for? What does right. it want it to do? Well, a big enough battery, can it back up a wind farm? Well, this is pretty broad and hypothetical, Tom. <laughs> well, it just seems like a simple question. If a battery's big enough, it can back up a wind farm, right? Mm-hmm. How big's big enough? Well, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> That's the exact question. Okay. All right. We'll move on. Fuck me! I mean, 
like, was that real? What a used car salesman. That was some bloke standing in the lot of a bunch of polished turds and with a greasy, slippery smile on his face and grease in his hair. And he's just like, yeah, perfect car for learners. Coal's great. And uh, yep. Yeah, absolutely. You can still get lead to petrol at the Bowser, I believe. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I've heard about electric cars, but uh, pretty dubious myself. And uh, actually, if I was you, I'd be actually going back to burning uh, solid oil uh, like they do in uh, tanker ships because it uh, smells great. Smells great. The plants love it. Lots of carbon, and uh, not going to say battery if my fucking life depends on it, apparently. So, uh, yeah, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, let's leave it there. The situation's dire, and I don't think he's gripped reality in terms of how fucked he is. And, and you know why he's so fucked? Is <laughs> because fossil fuels are dying. He's inching us closer and closer to an economic precipice. You know, not this, well, it is just a short-term economic win for the meantime because we get to build all sorts of great infrastructure off all of like the dirty coal money um, from China and India and stuff. And, and a quality of life is sensational for it, isn't it? I mean, don't you love Australia? God, we've got an amazing network of roads for such a massive place housing such a tiny amount of people. Oh, we've got great public services like Medicare. Well, like we've got, we're just the wealthiest place on earth. Guys, like this is, uh, for me, this is why I get a bit worked up a bit. This is why I get very worked up about it is because we are the luckiest country on the entire planet. And then on top of all of that, I mean, physically, geographically, we can all agree. I mean, you can go overseas and visit some cool things and like see a, a moose or whatever but like there's nothing like a kangaroo out in the des we've got we've got snow mountains and beaches and and just crazy different environments all sorts and so few people to have to share it with where our quality of life is so good and it is underpinned on undermining all of that because all of that is the natural environment. Man, it's so sad. And so that's why I get worked up. Because Keith Pitt's out there. And it's like he's our um, he's our footy captain, guys. Like, we're in the team. We're like, yep, he's our best player. He's minister for energy and resources, which means he loves it the most. He knows the most about it. He is the most invested in the best possible outcome for all of Australia. And that includes the Australians who aren't here yet. Because there's heaps of them and there's some that are and they drop in on blokes that are much bigger than them, but they're just brand new humans. So it's okay. But it's also sad because for me, I'm looking at, well, well, this bloke who's just dropped in on me in the surf and whose mum probably hopefully isn't like watching on whatever and she doesn't worry about it. Weird, man. Anyway, hopefully this bloke, I mean, he's going to have to deal with climate change for 40 years more than, I'm not 40. <laughs> what? No, okay. So, I mean, I'm maybe 20 years this kid's senior. That's an extra two decades of contending with the ultimate effects of climate change, which is like making this place uninhabitable. Cool. Sweet. So as if you wouldn't just throw all your spare energy um, at this problem, like sometimes walking into a dark room and just talking like to strangers like you and the thin air in front of my face and, and just getting it out because I want to know as much as I can about it because that's how I'm going to feel equipped to do stuff about this scary thing. And I'll tell you something about that, actually. We, um, we um, I think we almost, well, we did touch on something really um, like quite warm and fuzzy at the end of last episode. 
And what it was, was this whole thing that I feel like I've discovered, which is, which is the cure for my depression. There it is. Like that's it in the most simple terms is committing to the environment, using climate change as a rudder for decision-making and just this reliable, dependable compass for life of just not needing to think about certain things because there's so many of them that we need to stop doing. Like, oh, yeah, I guess like, I guess I'll never own a, uh, you know, a supercharged V8 now, but but that's fine because there's going to be other sick electric motors that come on board and that stuff just evolves and then, and then anyway, the point is the warm and fuzzy thing is, and the thing I want to just quickly clarify is I think there's a huge misconception about committing to making like the footprint of your life as small as possible. There's a misconception about that being a prohibitive thing where, and I remember this because I remember, I remember like, I remember the time where I just like consciously wasn't really giving a shit about it. Like was telling myself, yeah, I care for the environment. Yeah, I like nature and everything. But they're not really thinking about how can I really actively reduce the impact I'm leaving on the planet because I have so much opportunity to. I remember that. And I remember like, and I hear it all the time, guys, as well. You've probably heard it as well. Like, what do you, what do you mean to keep cup? Like I've got to carry around a dirty cup all day. And, and for me, that means you're just like, you may be like I used to be, which is a sad meat pie bloke. Like, do you like meat pies? And are you maybe a bit sad sometimes? Cause that was me guys. <laughs> and then, and then now it's like these two things, these two massive problems of the climate crisis and the suicide crisis, these two things for me, I mean, they just got solved by the same thing, which is just a commitment and a purpose to reduce my footprint. And I just wonder who else out there might like, I don't know. I just feel like it's a message worth sharing. And so sometimes that means coming in here and just like confessing all sorts of weird shit to you um, and just trying to like talk a bit of it out. But then, but then it got really verified the other day because you might not know that um, Universal Surfing Champion Kelly Slater's and I say that title because obviously he's the best surfer of all time ever. I mean, how can anyone ever eclipse that bloke as, as far as a contribution to the sport? I mean, maybe, maybe John Florence is on the way, but whatever goes. Kelly Slater released a single, guys. And I don't think John Florence has done that yet. But, but did you know that? Kelly Slater released a song in 2014. And, and let me tell you my journey with this song, okay? Because we're going to listen to a bit of it. Um, but the journey with this song is that I hated it to start with. Sorry, Kelly Slater. <laughs> Who's definitely listening? <laughs> um, uh, I guess like, sorry, sir. I feel compelled to call Kelly Slater, sir, for some reason. Anyway, we'll just go with that. So, sorry, sir. I don't in, like... I don't intend to like upset you by saying that, but I just didn't, didn't resonate because there's a line in it where, where it goes what a mess I've made of my life. Kelly Slater said that guys, Kelly Slater. And like, if, if he made a mess of his life, here's, well, this was my initial reaction. Okay. And don't worry. I don't feel like this anymore. But my initial reaction was like that, like how, like what a rude prick <laughs> because, because that's so rude to me. He obviously didn't think about me when he wrote this song about himself, but but I was like, dude, if you've messed up your life, what are you saying about me and what I'm doing with mine? 
what an indictment. How rude. And so anyway, that was my, my very egoic um, response to this song. But I've come to realize, I revisited it. Guys, Kelly Slater, I got it so wrong. God, that guy is a lord. I got it so wrong because he actually is singing, I've realized, about climate change. And we're going to play the first verse and chorus. And you, you can decide for yourself whether you agree with me. But I'm pretty like confident in this, that he's singing about his own relationship with the environment and and his own experience kind of of like what like universe nothing champion um lucky rolls went through which was this come to jesus revelation of well wow getting in touch with nature is looking after myself and committing to sustainability is committing to you know good mental health simple as that and i think this might be kelly singing about his own version which makes makes me feel great you know and that's like Oh, we just want to feel great. So, so, Mr. Robert Kelly Slater, ladies and gentlemen, 2014, feeling the feelings. Pretty good, eh? Breaking down, paralyzed with the thought of losing you. Oh, what a mess I've made of my life. Terrified to see what I'm standing in. Situation, you know that I, I'm feeling the feelings again. You know that I, I'm feeling the feelings again. So good, eh? Amazing, amazing that Kelly's. It's like, mate, like I know it's not your fault, but save a bit of talent for the rest of us, fella. What a hog. I hope he's not like that in the lineup, but I mean, he's probably the biggest wave magnet in magnet. Cool word that I pronounce well. I bet he's a wave magnet. I bet he's one of those blokes who just paddles out and waves just arrive to him. And you're just like, motherfucker, I've been paddling for 45 minutes, you know? And anyway, so, but so I've been thinking long and hard about these lyrics, guys. And I'm pretty sure after listening to that, I mean, I can hear you agreeing with me all the way from here in this closet that. Like, I can see you nodding. I hear you're like, oh, wow. I, maybe I'm like having my own come to Jesus epiphany, just like Rolls and Kelly Slater's. And if you are, amazing, because it makes sense to me. Listen to this description of of what it is like to really confront, cognitively speaking, what it really is to confront the climate crisis and the magnitude of the problem. And if you're anything like me, this like insane... Oh God! Like character assassinating re- uh, realization. Wow, that was an ambitious um, words. Anyway, um, it's like this indictment on the way you've been living your life up till now. Like I remember going through that maybe when I was, I don't know, meeting God for the first time at the tender age of twenty three, and and then actually going like, wow, I have not been being honest with myself. Here I am, the sad meat pie bloke, but, you know, it's because I've had my head firmly in the sand. 
And maybe it means I'm not as afraid as I would be if I was awake and looking around, but it means I'm definitely not going to be as happy as I could be if I was out there doing something about it, whatever that version of it is. And if it's just bringing a keep cup, that's something cool. And, and whatever the scale of it is, but it was this really paralyzing moment. And so listen to these lyrics, guys, breaking down paralyzed, the thought of losing you, mother earth. What a mess I've been making of my life. A little bit disrespectful. Anyway, he wasn't thinking about us guys. Get over it. Get over it. Oh, what a mess I've made of my life. Terrified to see what I'm standing in as far as, you know, my, whatever it is, guys, my wheelie bins every seven days or, or all of the shit that I've just collected in my garage. What's the plan with all that? What, when I just don't want it anymore, then what's the plan? And like, what is the life cycle of all of the things you own? Like it's paralyzing seeing what you're standing in. No, this is you mother earth wishing for me to get better. We're reading into it guys. You know that I'm feeling the feelings again. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an animal on the planet and I belong to biology and I'm going to do everything I can to prolong the life support system that is allowing me to be here and do life and think thoughts and stuff, right? And so thanks Kelly Slater for writing that song for us. And, and thanks also in advance for not being um, like litigious or anything about me playing it here. You probably won't be. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I was singing a coffee or something whatever we'll talk about it um and i should probably i mean with that important message to um rks out there i should probably cite oh no actually i need to clarify another thing <laughs> from last episode it's about hemsey guys okay here we go <clears throat> chris hemsworth was not stalking me on the night of that time i was at the local supermarket and thought it was him dressed up trying to get close to me to learn lessons in masculinity Allegation withdrawn. And you know why? It's not because, I mean, that that's not a realistic scenario. How dare you? No way. It's it, The reason is, right, I went back to that supermarket where this bloke is busy telling me that Brumbies are national icons and need to be protected. And if you don't know what's going on with the Brumbies, by the way, there used to be maybe 1,500 feral horses, Brumbies, running around the Alpine highlands in this country. Three years ago in 2017... Deputy Premier John Barillaro introduced a bill to protect them. And now there's over 20,000 in three years. Yes. <laughs> what? And then, and there's people out there fighting to protect them. And these things are absolutely destroying the place because they're super fragile wetlands where the biggest animal is maybe, you know, a couple of kangaroos or some little cute marsupial the size of half of your fist and stuff um, that's critically endangered and maybe there's only 200 left there. And there's just these wild horses stomping through with these rock-hard hooves. Where, I mean, so inappropriate for the landscape and just such a crazy feral pest. And so I've obviously encountered this bloke and thought, well, here's Emsy again. Like, the bloke just can't leave me alone. Another disguise, they've done pretty well this time because it's pretty convincing. They've somehow made him a bit shorter, but he's obviously found me again. And this is such a bizarre story that there's actually somebody out there picketing at the local grocery store for people to sign some shit petition to preserve one of the most deadly um, problems on the on, on Australia. <laughs> and so I thought, obviously, Hemsey. Um, but then I've gone back and I've seen this bloke there again. 
And the way he was like hooking up with his wife, I was like, or whoever she was, far out. Maybe he just spins a good yarn about the Brumbies and whatever. I saw it and I was like, there's, Hemsey's a good actor, but there's no way that he would commit to a role like so ferociously like that. Ugh, it was so nasty. And so anyway, so that's how I know it wasn't him. Withdraw the allegation, boring. Um, I know he's out there. I'm pretty sure I saw him in the surf. Like it, maybe it was him. Maybe he can't have been the little bloke because they're not that good. Are they? Whoa. Okay, so maybe this tiny child. Maybe I don't need to worry about this weird, like, weird talking to strangers in the surf and sometimes the stranger is a kid thing. Um, maybe that was Hemsy as well. Wow. It probably was because I've, I know they've been working on this new technology where you can basically project like a proxy and it's kind of a robot. It's obviously waterproof and you can, you can sort of act in a green screen with a suit on and the proxy does exactly what you do. And so could have been. Real nice. Anyway, it definitely is time for me to go. And you know why? Because I'm in lockdown, guys, and it's busy. It's busy in the lineup, and we're busy living our lives of lockdown. So I've got stuff to do. And, um, like, they'll tell you what lockdown's like. Guys, on my favourite four-wheel drive program that I watch on the internet, this um, group of guys were really nice to this guy who I thought they had maybe been bullying a little bit on previous episodes. And it was so meaningful that I almost cried. Like, that's how meaningful of a part of my week it was on um, lockdown. Crazy. So I'm busy, guys. Busy. Too busy for you now. So um, not sure why um, I just insulted you. And I guess I should say thank you for um, tuning in to another confessional. And yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and, and probably surf. All right. And that, my dear, is fucking delicious.